I love sports, the big thing in my life is it can change, it can do so many other things for other people, you know, it can tell me doors, meet amazing people, different pathways, you know, so yeah, sports are hugely into my life. I think if my advice to anyone is, is just to kind of, if, if times get hard when you're training or when you want to go somewhere and you can't do it, try and um, be positive and get through that time because it will get better and um, you will find um, something that you're good at. It's the, the messaging that little is, a, is better than nothing, that every little bit counts. Um, it's not about um, going off and running a marathon, it really is about small changes to your everyday life that you can kind of incorporate into your routine and much more likely to stick when it comes to sustainable behaviour change. Hello and welcome to the Disability Download. The Disability Download is brought to you by pan-disability charity Leonard Cheshire. I'm Cathy Lynch. And I'm Erin O'Reilly. And on this podcast, we respond to current topics, share stories and open up conversations about disability. This month, we're all about the Paralympics. So first up, we have our very own John Sim chatting to Paralympian Olivia Breen as she cheered on Team Leonard Cheshire at the Superheroes Triathlon back in August. So it's a pleasure to be at Eton Dorney with Leonard Cheshire Ambassador and Paralympian Olivia Breen. Lovely to meet you, Olivia. Yeah, it's really good to be here. Lovely to meet you too. It's a great, a great event. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be asked to be about Leonard Cheshire to be here. And I'm really looking forward to today. I'm really excited. Excellent. Um, can you give us an insight into your preparation for the Paralympics? You've obviously got quite a big event tomorrow. Um, but talk us through the last kind of months and, and, and the months ahead. Yeah, so basically we just, I train about five days a week. I have Thursday and Sunday off and just, just eat really healthily, eat, sleep well and just trust your coach, you know, trust your gym coach, trust your physio. You just got to have the right people around you and make sure you have a balance as well, like seeing your friends, not just be trained, trained, trained. Like obviously it's very important training as well, but I think also having a balance as well, being yourself as well, having a life. And I think that's really important, not just be... And you just want to, you want you want the best preparation and, as well. So yeah, just do your best and try and enjoy the best as much as you can. And how do you feel physically? You had a personal best recently. Can you explain what happened there? Yeah, so it's, it, I'm over the moon. How my season's going? I had a bit of an injury last, bad injury last year. After the Commonwealth Games, I had ten off the in my knee, which is a hole in my knee, which is quite nasty. So I had a lot of rehabbing to do. And it, yeah, I'm just over the moon how things going. Like I got, I took two tenths just a second of my PB in the hundred meters. Now it's just like, wow, where'd that come from? So it's really, I'm really happy and I'm really positive for the season for next year. Obviously, we've got the World Championships in Dubai in November, so that'd be really exciting. So hopefully, a few medals will be there. And yeah, and that'll be a great profession for the Tokyo next year. So fingers crossed. So you're constantly setting yourself new targets with each competition, including tomorrow's Diamond League outing. Is that a first for you? Yeah, um, yeah so next, tomorrow we've got the Diamond League in Birmingham, so that'll be really exciting. And hopefully it'll be a good time to get there. It'll be, really, it'll be good to get Paralympic sport out there and, and try and get people to like, realise, you know, not all able-bodied events, it's good to have power as well and try and get them to realise that disability is a good thing as well. You know, trying to get a Paralympic sport as much as, as out there as possible. What's your what's your daily routine like? I mean, how far do you have to go to train to meet your coach on a daily basis? So I live in Loughborough. I'm very lucky. It's a 10-minute walk from my house, so I'm really lucky. You know, so I get up in the morning, have breakfast, you know, have, you know, fruit and stuff, a coffee to keep me going for the day. <laughs> and then train. My training changes every day. Like, one day I jump and do circuit, and that's only, like, running and gym. You know, it changes every day, but it's a good, it's a good routine. And obviously, yeah, you've got to rest as well and recover, make sure we're ready for the next day for training. 
when did you first get together with Team GB after Christmas? When did your first kind of get together as a team? So we normally get together in March time and then talk about the season and then, and then we have a get together before the World Championship, talk about the World Championship or the World Europeans or whatever we have coming up, you know. And we only get together like twice a year kind of thing, but it's nice to get together as a team, talk, catch up with your friends and stuff and see how they're doing, you know, it's really nice. So there's obviously a bond, a natural yeah. bond. Yeah, there is, definitely. Obviously everyone's got different groups, so yeah, there's definitely a bond, yeah. What do you prefer, long jump or sprint? <laughs> I'm better with long jump. I have, I love the sprints. I, it's my favourite then, yeah. Is that kind of a better buzz in a way? Yeah, it is. I just love it. It's so quick and I'm always, I'm, I love doing th- things quickly. I'm a very fast person, so yeah, yeah, it's definitely a buzz. What other sports do you kind of enjoy? What do you watch on telly? I love watching Wimbledon. I love rugby. I'm not really a football person. Uh, my family's very sporty as well. So, yeah, I just love all sports, really. I love watching gymnastics, like the Olympic Games, where it's like swimming. Yeah, I love it. It's really good. But it's always been kind of long jump and sprinting for you as your kind of chosen disciplines. Yeah, 100%. I love athletics. It's been my whole life, really. My dad's a sprinter, so, and also, so yeah, that's how I love athletics. So, yeah, he, he's sporty as well. <laughs> Strange question in a way, but what does sport mean to you? What does competitive sport mean to you? It means so much, you know, school's never really my thing. I loved sports since I was at the age of five. I was always running around. My mum always has to chase me around the garden. She wasn't, she wasn't a runner either, but yeah, I love sports. It's just a big thing to my life. And it can change, it can do so many other things for other people, you know. Open so many doors, meet amazing people, different pathways, you know. So yeah, sports are huge thing to my life. And when you achieve that kind of personal best, when you get those kind of um, personal achievements in sport, how do you feel? So happy, so relieved, and like, all the hard work's been paid off, but then I'm on to the next one. <laughs> and what does it mean to you to kind of advocate for Leonard Cheshire and for disabled people? Oh, I love Leonard Cheshire. So I met them in, de- in December. It's such a good charity. You know, you help, you help be disabled people become independent and help them be the best they can be. And open little doors to other people, and I just love the charity. It's a great charity to be part of and be an ambassador for. And I'm so happy to be part of it. And this event is a kind of festival of that kind of independent living, isn't it? And giving people the chance to kind of um, take part in sports that they probably wouldn't do on a, on a daily basis and to kind of, you know, take part in active sport. Yeah, completely. I completely agree. Like, it's so good to, then to see like, other sports and see what they're good at. And families as well, to see their children do other things and have a family day out. It's really important. And I would love to have done that when I was younger. I think a day like this is so important for disabled people and for their families as well. So, yeah. Excellent. Bearing in mind you're competing in uh, at a serious event tomorrow. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Olivia actually went on to get second in the T35 to 3800 metres at the Birmingham Grand Prix the next day. So well done to Olivia on that one. And next up, we have John O'Drain, former Paralympic judoka who works with us here at Leonard Cheshire. He's chatting to his friend and former teammate, Chris Skelly, about his preparations for the 2020 Paralympics. Well, my first ju- judo memory was when I stepped onto the mat at Halton Price when I was five, um, and I f- when I first got thrown, it hurt really, <laughs> hurt really hard because it hit my head, and then I realised actually this is quite a good sport for me because um, I do like physical kind of activity and and I enjoyed the the camaraderie I had with my friends, and then that's the first big memory of judo for me. Oh, anything else, or is that it? That's my first memory, yeah. <laughs> and my last memory. Oh, <laughs> everything else has been a blur. It's my only memory. It's my only memory. <laughs> uh, um, so with your disability, um, has it ever been a barrier to you participating in judo? But I think we should open that up to sport in general. 
I don't think. I, don't, I think vision impairment is not a barrier to sport. I think with judo, it's been very, it's quite easy to adjust because you just make the two people co- connect. If that makes sense, so they never let go of each other. So they're always connected um, with their grips. I think in any sport you can adapt it to visual impairment. You've just got to somehow figure out how it suits that person. Um, I know that go ball, um, which is another sport, uh, they they use their ears a bit more. So, so they have a total blindfold on and they use the attribute of hearing. So they, they listen to where the ball is. So their kind of um, hearing is a lot more uh, better to, to pinpoint where the ball is. Um, I'm trying to think of other sports. Rowing. Rowing's not... Gonna, really difficult spot to adapt you just you have people wait talking minute, to you constantly you're going off on a tangent here chris have you ever done rowing no i have not done rowing but so then I'm this isn't thinking... relevant to the question because it's about your experience chris <laughs> i was you said talk about other sports as well yeah no i meant as in your experience of sports i knew you used to play you obviously played a bit of rugby and stuff no like i had that. to stop because i couldn't see the ball anymore yeah I know that, well that's a perfect example of a barrier to sport that kind of stuff is what we're looking for, not this nonsense <laughs> how what you think rowing is. <laughs> right, so right. So I know the, the answer to this question, um, but let's ask it anyway. So your first experience with the Paralympic Games was? Rio. Yes, tell me about That's, that. So, so actually, you know, so I do like a little bit. My first proper experience was when I went on the Paralympic Inspiration Programme in 2012, and I got to go to London. Um, and kind of live in the village and experience that kind of experience, which I think set me up quite nicely for Rio, um, which I qualified for um, for 2016. And for me, it, my best the best memories were stepping into the village and just the kind of the, the, the housing was so big and and it kind of was a dream come true because you worked so hard for them four years to get there, and you you work so hard with your mates, you know including you, Jonathan, that, yeah. you know, we, we kind of got there. We, our one focus was at Paralympic Games, and it was just so incredible to be there and experience it. So um, with that in mind, let's think about looking forward um, to Tokyo now, because you're in the middle of a qualification period. Yeah, um, we've had qualifications out in, um, I think it was November of last year at the World Championships, uh, which I took a bronze there. And then... Um, I'm just dropping that in there. Dropping that in there, and then and then I've done well at the last few competitions, um, which yeah, has put me in a very, the area, which has put me in a very good position for next year. But it's you know we've still got three tough competitions coming up, and hopefully I can do quite well there to get myself kind of in a good position to to try and you know, get a medal this time and not mess up <laughs> like I did yeah. last time. So you've glazed over two really, really big things for me. As a friend, I'm particularly very, extremely proud of you. One, you, um, so you picked up a medal at the World Championships? Well, it's in World Qualifiers. It's not really World Championships, but I took um, a silver at the World Qualifiers, yeah. um, which is basically our World Championships this year, and took a bronze at the European Championships. But it's put me in one of the better positions, if that makes sense. So and not, so I'm where not... was your world ranking earlier this year? So, I won the competition, um, with, well, I kind of put me in a good position anyway, but now world number one, and I think yeah. I'm currently world number one still at yep. this competition, um, so if I can keep getting good points, I can stay in around world number one, world number two area. Yeah, absolutely. So, we want to, we want to be seeded for the, for the games. What does the next year look like for you? So, it take, um, 
say Uzbekistan's in two weeks today, so that will we'll kind of get ready for that. Um, and then we have a couple of weeks off, just we have maybe like a couple of weeks of downtime where I go on holiday, and then we kind of crack into the next big period of what we call building the engine for the for next year. So we've got some really, yeah, so kind what of what engine would you get? What kind of engine would you call yourself? At, at the moment, I'd say I'm a, a, um, a Ford Raptor, but I want to be a <laughs> I want to be a Mustang. You want to be a Mustang? Is the, is the Mustang... Um, are you far off from the Mustang? I'm not entirely sure I know. I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm in a good position. I need, I need to get, for me, I need to get a lot more stronger. Yeah. I need my strength. My, my, I've got a very good conditioning level, but my strength needs to improve a lot to beat some good players in my category. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so we've got a big training block then. Kind of for like five months to Nottingham, um, and then we have a competition in Nottingham, and then we have a last competition of qualification in Azerbaijan. So, wow. by then, hopefully, we know where I'm seeded and hopefully I'm qualified. And then, then it'll be 12 weeks of the games. Nice, I know. Nice, um, as in terms of like trying to think about how, like, particularly with being such a, a successful athlete, um. What kind of things would you say for um, to um, advice would you give other young um, kids with disability about the impact sport can have? Just quickly, I would say I'm I'm I've been very lucky in, with my success. I've worked I've worked hard, but I've been very lucky as well. I don't um, I, I don't I don't think I necessarily agree with that. I always find it fascinating when people say I've been lucky. I think the fact that you then follow up with your hard work, that's the reason why. Yeah, I think that's the main reason. But for, for me, for me um, I think if my advice to anyone is, is just to kind of, if, if times get hard when you're training or when you want to go somewhere and you can't do it, try and be positive and get through that time because it will get better and um, you will find um, something that you're good at. For me, like when I, when I lost everything, my job and my drive and everything, I found something by accident. And it, and, and, but it was always there in my, in my life, which was judo, but I never thought of doing it as a job. And then until someone actually pointed it out to me, I was like, oh, okay. And so for me, I just think you've got to keep, keep going, keep going moving forward. And something will come along that will help you to um, progress in life. And, and when you do get it, run with it. Don't look back. And always, and always be positive. For me, um, I think my advice to anyone is, is just to kind of, if, if times get hard when you're training or when you want to go somewhere and you can't do it, try and, and be positive and get through that time because it will get better and um, you will find um, something that you're good at. That's lovely. What kind of things, what do you sort of like attribute your mindset to then, the fact that you're able to see things and to see this Rather than things being a threat, seeing them as an opportunity. I, I, I and I'm hoping you say your mum because I know that your mum's a pretty a wonderful person and she has a lot to do. With yeah, you. I think I think my upbringing with my mother having a very positive attitude as well. She's never let me rest in my laurels. She's always wanted me to get better at something or try something new. Um, I'm very grateful for her input in my life, and then also having other people around me like my grandparents were a big influence. Um, even my dad with a heart, you know, he worked so hard at his job. He kind of had a great working kind of ethic, so kind of watching him working um, and, you know, just being so focused on something. And, and 
for me as well is, is having that rest as well. It's it's good being focused, but having that good time to relax your mind and like get away from from the pressures of what we do. So that's the biggest thing I think. Being able to learn, but also know when to kind of stop learning and relax. If that makes that's sense. That's the advantages of having hearing aids yeah. and being able to turn them off. I didn't want to say that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or just be a cereal snacker. Cereal snacker, just snacker. drown yeah. yourself in Doritos. No, no, pork pies are in your rings. <laughs> right, um, so this one's a little bit difficult. Not difficult in the sense of, like, obviously, um, it's just do you think that there's enough opportunities for young disabled people to participate in sport? And we're not asking whether they're... Well, I'm not, I suppose I'm not interested in are there, but it's just whether you think that there could be more and there could be more done to remove the barriers that some people face. I think, I think there is a lot of opportunity for people to, to try sport, um, especially with a lot of like with social media now and Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I know about Poland PSGB are very good at trying to get people into sport mm. with these kind of special days where they have people to come and try out sports. See, um, I think it's parapotential days, they call them, and, and see if they like to do them. There's a lot more of them, of them nowadays um, compared to where, where I, when I started. So that's, that's a very big positive. I think it's also the onus on the on the athlete, or on the person who wants to get into sport, because it, there's all these opportunities out there, but you've actually got to go and look for it sometimes. Um, and you sometimes you say you come across something that you like, or you stumble across something you like, or it might already be in your life and you've not really looked in, into that. So I do think it's also on the person to go and look around and see what and try stuff and try something new, um, because they might actually find. Uh, a sport which they're really good at and they never knew they were really good at so I do think it's also on the uh, the person themselves to go and look for it yeah I think that's a really interesting point yeah I think there is there, as I say compared to when I started there was not a lot of power potential days and then and then since kind of London and after there have been a lot more power potential days so I think since London in in 2012 it's become a lot better and it will do, still get better do you think now that there's uh, more public support with the Paralympics and it's yeah a lot visible yeah like awareness especially in britain i think britain's an amazing country for that actually for the publicity of paralympic sport which obviously channel four being the kind of the, the main kind of push for that um but no it's been it's been a definitely an increase in in knowledge of of, of paralympic sport and especially as it's now with social media um there's, a, there's so much more opportunity to publicize it as well right um, thank you so much not a problem mate anytime and you can follow Chris's journey to Tokyo on Twitter and Instagram. So on Twitter, he is at ChristopherSkell2. And on Instagram, he is at Christopher.Skelly. So for our final segment of this podcast, we've got John Sim interviewing Cecilia Kumar, who is Head of Disability over at Sport England. Welcome to Leonard Cheshire, Cecilia. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Um, if we could start just by asking you to describe your role with Sport England? Yeah. Um, so Sport England's role is to work to increase participation levels among sport and physical activity. Um, and within the disability team, our aim is to reduce the significant participation gap that exists between disabled and non-disabled people when it comes to physical activity. So I work a lot with um, 
national disability charities like yourself, um, as well as other sports organisations, some disability specific, some not. Um, and we work across um, all of the teams at Sport England as well to support them to make sure that our investments are including disabled people. Sports England in many ways have kind of started from scratch in terms of um, disability and I was particularly interested in the disability mapping on your website. Can you kind of talk us through that a little? Um, yeah, so we um, we realised quite a few years ago now that we didn't have enough insight and, and evidence around uh, disabled people's activity levels as well as um, more general um more general evidence um, around impairments, um, geographical locations, age, different kind of demographic breakdowns that we needed to gather. So that wasn't just in the sports and physical activity space. That information was... um, maybe out there but in different it wasn't all in one place so we did a big piece of work um, at Sport England with the support of Activity Alliance as well um, to map disability Um, and and on the back of that um, we developed a guide around how to engage disabled people within sport and physical activity um, which have been really useful resources for the sector um, as well. And some of the core facts that have come out of your research um, include that 43% of disabled people are less likely to be um, active. Yeah, so that's through our Active Lives survey, which was originally Active People. Um, That's um, a a significant national survey that we do um, twice a year. Um, And we know through that that if you have a disability, if you have an impairment, you're you're twice as likely to be inactive compared with non-disabled people. Um, It's actually slightly over. It's 42% um, compared with 20% of the non-disabled population um, in terms of inactivity. And you're also, um, if you are inactive and you're disabled, you're much more likely to be doing no activity at all um, than non-disabled people. Um, So there's a really significant challenge there in terms of the participation gap. And it's not just about, I think the solutions to that are not just about creating more opportunities. They're about really digging into understandings about why people feel that they can't be active. In your time at Sport England to date, um, do you, have you found that grassroots sport is slowly becoming more inclusive? Um, I'd say cautiously, yes. Uh, I know that we invest to make that happen. Um, we have... Um, a really broad range of investments which reflects the fact that disabled people are not a homogenous group and so it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of approach to our investment. Um, But absolutely, we invest in organisations like Activity Alliance to run the Inclusive Activity Programme, which is all around upskilling coaches and deliverers. So there's workforce pieces going on. We work around supporting social workers to um, be able to um, support the people they work with to be more physically active. Um, So there's a whole range of um, work going on around um, making the workforce more inclusive, more person-centred and thinking about the needs of disabled people, which in many cases are not different to non-disabled people. It's just around creating an inclusive environment where people feel that they can um, ask questions, they feel that they can, um, if there is anything that they might need to be adapted or if they might need to take a break, that there's a really comfortable environment for that to be able to take place, which is the same for lots of people taking part in activity, especially for the first time. Um, we're starting a countdown to the Paralympics here. The last two have been hugely successful. TV figures are up. Um, attendances at the events themselves were fantastic. How can you harness that enthusiasm to um, fuel disabled sport participation? Mm. Um, so you'll probably see that the BPA have just launched their Impossible to Ignore programme, um, which is fantastic, and that's all around harnessing the power of the Paralympics to change perceptions more widely in society. Um, and that's based on the evidence that they have around that, which is 
which we've seen through Rio and through London, that um, the Paralympics has the ability to, to really change particularly non-disabled people's perceptions around disability. Um, and then I think um, for disabled people wanting to take part in physical activity, it's a really great opportunity to kind of see positive role models um, and to inspire all of us to take part in, in sport and physical activity. So at Sport England, we're investing in travel to Tokyo, um, which is um, through our families fund, actually, it's a children and young person investment. Um, so if you've got any kids who are at primary school age, um, that's all around um, supporting families to be active together. And we're sending out information to all primary schools in the country to be able to take part in that. You can find information about that on our website. That's a really fun inclusive um program um and um you know wherever people find inspiration is fantastic so that might be from the paralympics um it might also be that you're inspired by your friends your family um the people that you take part in sport with an activity a local activity center or whatever it is um so i think for us at sport england i think we're really aware that there's so many different ways that people are influenced in our lives. You know, we have so much different... Um, we, it might be through people, it might be through social media, you know, it might be through celebrities, it might be through the Paralympics, and we want to just make sure that um, we're opening up as many opportunities and avenues for people to feel that they really want to engage um, and that when they do, those opportunities are available for them. Um, we launched um, our We Are Undefeatable campaign last week, which is all around getting people with long-term health conditions um, to be more physically active. And the principles that are in that are the same, really, for anybody looking to do more activity or looking to take up some physical activity. It's the, the messaging that little is, a, is better than nothing, that every little bit counts. Um, it's not about... Um, going off and running a marathon it really is about small changes to your everyday life that you can kind of incorporate into your routine are much more likely to stick when it comes to sustainable behavior change um, doing it with other people with friends and family um, we hear so often in, in the evaluations that we do that um, the social side of it is actually much more it's it's, it's um, first and foremost the physical activity benefits that you get from doing sport are almost secondary people want them but really the bit that makes them really really want to do it again and want to do it regularly is the, is the social engagement and I think that's particularly true when we're talking about disabled people because we know that disabled people are more likely to experience loneliness um, so that's really important for us as well. So what is that first step for disabled people interested in kind of getting off their sofa um, and becoming involved in local sport mm-hmm. and how can Sport England help with that? So I think there are loads of different ways of doing it and it does depend what you want to do um, and what kind of sports you want to get involved in and how you want to do it. So for example um, the Parasport website um, it has lots of opportunities of um, events going on so do the National Disability Sport Organisations so they're impairment specific organisations such as British Blind Sport UK Deaf Sport, Cerebral Palsy Sport um, they'll have events um, in, in going on that they're running in local areas um it's also talking to you might not want to take part in a in a traditional sporting environment it might be talking to your sibling or to your support worker about how you can be more physically active in your day-to-day life incorporating regular walking um there's loads of really great programs that we run um so depending on you know as i mentioned around the world challenges running in quite a lot of locations that will be increasing throughout the next few years um we invest in sense um, to support people with um, complex um, communication needs to be physically active. So if you're engaged with a disability organisation, then talking to them about what services that they've got um, that might 
that might be suitable. Um, if you don't want to do that, then I think looking looking online, looking at Activity Alliance, looking at Parasport, um, the opportunities that are available. But if it's not something that's right for you, I wouldn't let. I think the message is really very much: don't let that stop you. It doesn't need to be something that's a very sort of traditional sporting environment. There's so many different ways that you can get active. You can do videos in your living room, you know. Um, and we really want to kind of facilitate and support all of those ways. They're just as important as actually you know signing up paying a membership fees and joining in that very kind of traditional club route which can be absolutely great as well cecilia thank you very much no problem thanks for having me and anyone looking to find out about opportunities in their local area you can get in touch with your local active partnership there's actually 43 across england so go online and have a look and see which one's closest to you So for any of you who are wondering what the BPA is when Cecilia mentioned it in her interview, the BPA stands for the British Paralympic Association. And that's all we've got time for for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it and found it really useful. Give us a rating on iTunes. If you have any suggestions for future topics you'd like us to talk about or get people on the podcast, um, email us send your email to disabilitydownload at leonardcheshire.org. And you can also get in touch by tweeting us at at Leonard Cheshire. We'd really love to know what you think and we really hope you tune in for the next instalment. We'd like to say a special thank you to our guest reporter, John O'Drain. And of course, to everyone else that took part in this podcast. I'm Cathy Lynch. And I'm Erin O'Reilly. And this has been the Disability Disability Download. Download.